fun lawyer show. We just started a superhuman law division, and I want you to be the face of it. Lawyer show. Imagine running a superhuman law division of a law firm. That's exactly what we're going to talk about here, and we're going to start off the series by reviewing the new She-Hulk Attorney at Law show on Disney+. Plus. So let's dive into the series finale. Whose show is this? I'm Greg Lambert, and once again, I've reached out to, to local counsel in Los Angeles, Ashley Carlisle, who is head of marketing at Hyperdraft. Ashley, once again, thanks for coming in and uh, helping me wrap up the season. Of course. Yeah, as we'll get into, this was an interesting ending. Yeah, to, to say the least. Yeah, there's lots of pluses and minuses, I think, that, that were going on in this. So we got a lot to cover in this. Plus, we're going to do some bonus content at the end. So let's jump in at the beginning of, of the show. Uh, so we had, had kind of an interesting thing. I don't. Did you ever watch the original The Incredible Hulk TV show with Bill Bixby? I did not. And so at first when I watched this, I was really confused. And then I Googled like basically episode nine intro because <laughs> I was like so confused. I, I, what is going on here? It looks very cool. It obviously looks like we're being transported to the 70s. I then learned from Google that this show was super popular. Were, were you familiar with this show? Um, I'm old enough that I actually watched the show on okay. CBS. So, but I was a kid, so don't. I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah. So Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno were actually Dr. David Banner because, and I don't know if you know this, but you know he's Bruce Banner in the in the comic books and in the MCU. But some executive at CBS in the '70s thought that the name Bruce sounded too gay. And so they made Marvel. They made Stanley change the name of the character to David Banner. Just sign of the times. Wow, I didn't know that. That's such an odd story. Yeah, and it's because of this show that She-Hulk actually exists at all, because CBS had planned on creating a woman Hulk at some point as a spinoff of this show. And in order to keep their intellectual property rights to the Hulk, Stan Lee went back, and this was, I think, and we'd mentioned it in a, uh, early episodes of, of this show, that he went in and created She-Hulk, and it was actually one of the last comic books that he actually wrote. So, in, wow. 1979, 1980. Of course, it was a grab for IP rights even in the 70s. Yeah. I'm glad that lawyers have been active in this space for decades i love the wide collars i love the you know the green screen uh, computers the well it looked like they did i mean you watched the show but from what i looked up it looks like they completely recreated the opening credits of mm -hmm. the tv show with jen walter slash she hulk yeah. which is really cool i liked the clothes i liked how they did the style and the lens a little bit different and, you know, as we talked about in last episode, I love a catchphrase. So I love that they included the catchphrase. I was kind of mad that that wasn't, you know, the title of the episode. But as we're going to get into, the title of the episode is very apt. Whose show is this? What's happening? Exactly. So, but I do love a catchphrase. So I was very happy to have that final scene of her doing, I guess, which I didn't know, the 70s catchphrase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. 
<laughs> of course, you know, at the end of the last episode, we had her being arrested after she, after the intelligentsia uh, attacked her uh, with the video at the gala, and it looks like the Department of, uh, uh, what what is that? Oh. I don't know. All I know is they have the cool taser guns. Yeah. And so she was arrested, and we see after this dream sequence of uh, Jen coming in and, and waking up in the same cell that Abomination was in earlier in the show. So she has to make a deal. She tries to talk about how she's going to go after the people that attacked her, and Mallory Book has to kind of bring her back to reality and go, you know, Jen, that's not really the important thing right now. We have to worry about you because you're under arrest. People see you as losing control. And as a superhuman that has lost control, just like her cousin said earlier, once they see that, that's all they see. Yes. And I just remembered, is it the Department of Damage Control? There we go. Department of Damage Control. Thank you. I remember the name was kind of funny, but it was memorable. So yes, I did see she's an abomination cell, which I guess makes sense because I'm sure those are expensive and you don't need many. So I guess it makes sense she'd be in the same place. And Mallory, the actress who plays Mallory is actually a Broadway legend. So I was very excited to see her appear again and for her to be in the MCU. I don't think there's many Broadway legends that find themselves in the MCU. But I'm glad that she's representing her. I thought that was a very sad conversation, but obviously needed to happen because obviously... She-Hulk is so upset about what was shown at the gala and just trying to grapple with that. That's her priority. But like you said, like the Hulk had warned her in Mexico and many other things, you really, you're held to a different standard. They do the plea deal section a little fast. That's my only kind of Mm -hmm. question mark in that section, because like you said, Mallory's like, there's a plea on the table, which as we know, like a plea deal, sometimes just called a deal, is an agreement between, you know, the prosecution and the defendant to drop or lessen charges. So it sounds like she accepts it. They put an inhibitor on her, but nothing else is really talked about. There's no talk of like if there's any geographic restrictions, if there's any other, you know, pending court dates, nothing, which in my mind, the whole episode was kind of looming because as she's living her life, I'm like, okay, is it just the inhibitor? That was what I kind of uh, thought was the deal was they would not press charges as long as she wore an inhibitor. So, and I didn't see anything else. And we see through the rest of the the show that she's able to moving about, yeah, move, moving about. Um, so she she goes to to Blonsky's retreat later, but Blonsky also had a similar deal, and he was able to. <laughs> Go, go to the, the this retreat area. So um, true. I don't know. Who knows? Cal- these these California deals. I mean, they they must be sweet. They must be very lenient. I, I didn't realize, but um, <laughs> yes, they must be in this Marvel universe. Yeah, she gets out. Her parents are hilarious. I, I kind of want more of the parents because they have very few lines, but the lines are just those cringy parent lines where you can tell that they care, but they somehow say the wrong thing which is just, I think everyone relates to. Yeah. Well, as the face of the superhuman law division, which was She-Hulk, and since she can't be She-Hulk anymore, we see her go to her office and pack her things. So it doesn't say whether or not she was fired, but uh, you get the impression that she was fired. My favorite was the see you later litigator mug. Yeah. was one of the first things she puts into her box. (laughs) Well, she did not have a lot of personality in that 
office. So other than her law degree, uh, you know, a few files in that uh, a plant in the the coffee cup, that was all she really hauled out. Do many lawyers have that much personality in their office? I feel that partners do if you have like a nice swanky corner office. But I don't know. I feel like the average lawyer just has the diplomas up, maybe a family photo, maybe one little Chotsky. That's it. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've walked the halls here and, and maybe my firm's a little different, but I see some personality, especially after someone has been here a couple of years. I think the first couple of years, they, they don't necessarily want to expand the personal stuff that's in the office, but once they- In case you have to leave, like exactly. She-Hulk did. I mean, she wasn't there that long. Yeah. In the series, she had less than five cases that we saw, yeah. but- There was a comment that uh, Nikki said that I think is pretty common, especially in large law firms. And that was, uh, as Jen was packing up, uh, Pug and Nikki were there supporting her and, and helping her haul boxes out. But uh, Nikki says, I'm going to continue working for GLK and H because they pay nicely. <laughs> and that happens a lot that people that may want to leave because of the salary, they end up with what's called golden handcuffs. So they can't leave because they can't necessarily find a job like this that pays the same amount somewhere else. And so for lawyers, for staff, a lot of times it makes it really hard to do things that may be actually better for you mentally and, and physically and psychologically, but, right. you know, also monetarily and, you know, supporting your family and you have a certain lifestyle makes it really hard to, to pack up and leave a bad situation. Definitely. I do appreciate that she put all the snacks and drinks in her car. That was funny. <laughs> That's a real friend. And, and it looked like she took some, some really nice looking marble, uh, Oh, the coasters? Yeah, coasters. Looks like she stole some of those uh, coasters as well. Good for her. Good for her. And then, you know, I talked about in the last episode how I just didn't like how Holloway made her be She-Hulk at work. And, you know, you could try an employment claim with that. Who knows how strong that would be? I guess here, if she was fired because she is no longer She-Hulk and being She-Hulk was a condition to her employment, she probably could try to sue them. I mean, you can always sue someone even if you're wrong, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if it would be the straightest line of a case. Definitely she could include this in whatever damages she tries to get against Intelligentsia. And, you know, as we find out who's kind of the king of this whole backlash against her uh, because she's lost her job, which is going to tarnish her reputation. This definitely adds up in the damages category for Mm -hmm. whoever is the big bad and whoever she's going to try to see in court. Well, we, we see some TV shots. Uh, I, I like the TV shot that calls her an alleged superhero. Um, <laughs> and and all of the pictures are of the angry She-Hulk uh, post. And then uh, she's got uh, uh, media camped out on her lawn. But I really think it's funny when she goes to her parents' house and the media is camped out there and her dad is spraying them with a water hose to get them off the lawn. Is that okay to do? it's his property yeah unclear it is funny like living in la you do see paparazzi occasionally if you are like in a high celeb area Mm -hmm. which i do live in one next to one i guess i would say and anytime i see it depicted on tv i'm like that's kind of how it looks it just looks more chaotic in real life yeah so i can't imagine that being outside my house i would be just as frustrated 
I'm sure my dad would also try to spray them with a hose. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, alleged superhero was a bit of a dig. Yeah, that wasn't nice. Not nice. She hasn't gotten along very well with the media. And, and I think we'll talk. No, about- it was not media trained, does not have a publicist. These are my guesses. Yeah. Unclear from the show, but. So Jen loses her job. She loses, eventually loses her apartment. Her apartment has to move back in to her parents' house. What Very you see sad. In, a, in, a, in a room that you like? Oh, of course. The early 2000s, Legally Blonde poster, Aaron Brockovich poster. I think her, I was similar, decided that she was going to go to law school at a young age. So her room is just populated with all of these images, these female lawyer icons, uh, female divas of law, I guess, as we'll see later, that term being used. One thing I have had asked recently to me, which was funny, was... I guess it's because these young kids didn't, you know, they weren't around when Legally Blonde came out. I've had some people ask me why Legally Blonde was so important to like millennial attorneys, especially if they're women. And I had to think about it. And it's funny that it was in the bedroom and some of the lines she said, because I think like She-Hulk, the main thing that people liked about it was she was underestimated, but she still was able to persevere and succeed and be herself. Right. So there's some commonalities between that and She-Hulk, but I did love the Easter eggs everywhere and her being in her bedroom, trying to like piece together what had happened on some type of true crime murder board situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are always funny. Who does that in real life? Uh, uh, crazy people. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really true crime, like evangelists. I, I'm not sure. I see it, you know, in these other TV shows, but I wonder, like, there's a lot of arts and crafts required for even the bare minimum of a murder board. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more people like us would do it in PowerPoint than on a wall. So. Oh, definitely. <laughs> or just a nice list, a very organized, color-coded list, a checklist. Uh, so she's putting everything together on that crime board. I think Nikki comes by and talks to her as well. And it's one of the things that kind of it it runs through the whole show, and that is Jen's reaction to everything is that the legal system is going to prevail in this, and that is her way of approaching all issues. We saw it at the end. It was probably you know she could have fought the Department of Damage Control people and maybe that would have been es- fun escaped it would have made for for great tv but i think it goes through that whole thing where as a lawyer she still has faith that the legal system will help her will make things right yeah and she even says that when she's talking to mallory in the cell of they must be persecuted which Considering she has superhuman strength, I guess that shows some restraint. Yeah. Because wouldn't you just want to go hurt them <laughs> with the powers that you have? <laughs> you know, if this had traumatic thing had happened to you, I think it shows a lot of restraint. And like you said, just an adoration and a belief in the system that everything is going to work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were talking about her parents. Her mom shows a video to Nikki. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Tip- typical mom things, but uh, I don't know if you know but apparently there's a lot of people are are kind of comparing this to the alexandria oh aoc yeah oh i had not made that comparison but now it's like popping in front of my eyes when you say this that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah because there was a video when she was at i think boston university when she was an undergrad yeah that where she was dancing and and people have used that online to try to discredit her for things she's doing now 
So it's a, a you know. Of course, because if you have a brain, you cannot dance. You cannot. It's footloose times. You cannot. <laughs> yeah. Of course, that totally that logic follows. Uh, and then uh, Nikki shows her a, a video, apparently of a live news feed, and of our friend from her prosecution days going on and, and doing media. The awful guy. Was his name Greg? I was trying to remember his name because I just didn't like him when I saw him the first time. So I yeah. didn't bank it. Um, no, his name. Well, while you're looking up the name of this very lackluster gentleman, there are a couple things. So it's interesting that the AOC connection has been talked about because not having looked it up, I just assumed they were talking about, um, you know, when Megan the Stallion did the scene in She-Hulk, a lot of people trolled it. So I assumed it was some sort of connection to kind of the writers making fun of people having such an opinion on that Megan the Stallion scene. But that's interesting that it could be this other, you know, probably more apt comparison of if you're an intelligent female doing something, sometimes people go to really weird links to try to discredit you. I guess you can't dance. The other thing I thought was interesting, which Obviously, this is getting into semantics, but I did have the question just pop in my mind as I was watching this. John Doe pleading does exist in California. So she was she was saying that she had to know who these people were to go after them. And that is the best course, obviously, for like discovery, service of process, all this stuff. It's a lot cleaner if you know exactly who harmed you, what to put in the complaint, what have you. But John Doe pleading where you just kind of put placeholders for who caused you harm is allowed in some states. It is allowed in California. So technically, she could just go ahead and do that if there was a statute of limitations problem. It just happened to her. So obviously, that's not going to happen. But um, I thought that was very interesting. Obviously, they didn't have they don't get my gold star for that section. They didn't have a lawyer put in a line being like, I could do, do John Doe pleading, but I want to know who did this to me. So let's search for them on this murder board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> goodness. I, they can hire me, though. I'm available. I, so. I am having a hard time finding who the who that character is. So we'll we'll I know it's not Greg. I would know if it was Greg. You would but, know if it was your namesake. That <laughs> exactly. makes sense. Exactly. But he is awful. And I thought originally I was like, oh, defamation. And then I realized she's a public figure in California. Right. So um, you have to prove malice, which is nearly it's not impossible, but it's very hard. So unfortunately, bozos like him can go out in the press and say whatever. Uh, so Jen goes back to her room. And if you notice, all of the posters have been removed. And it's like a very clean looking room. It's kind of sad. Very sad. She's given up. She's, yeah, she starts scrolling through her phone. And there's kind of an Easter egg as she's scrolling through the phone because the lyrics from Never Gonna Give You Up actually show, <laughs> some of those show up with, with the guy's name Rick. So there's a Rick Roll. It goes on in the middle of the uh, scrolling, but uh, or she tries to reach back out to Emil Blonsky or the abomination uh, because she's in need of a mental break. Yes, which <laughs> makes sense because he also had the inhibitor. He was also in the same cell. She, he also runs this wellness retreat, what we call it. I don't know if he's certified, but he's running some sort of retreat in California. So that all makes sense. Have they communicated since she left the firm? Is she still representing him? That was my only question. But that's a very lawyer persnickety question. So in reality, they're probably just friends. And she was like, hey, I want to chat. We have this in common. Yeah. So, uh, well, one of the things that I think is she's scrolling through the phone is if you're asking if they had communicated earlier. The way that the message was, was set up was it was 
like on a Saturday. And so it looked like it was there's been some communication still going on with between her and Blonsky. So I think she felt very comfortable uh, taking him up on on his offer to go back out. And uh, as she says, she's not running away from her problem. She's taking a mental health break. So (laughs) (laughs) to go hang out with the cast of characters, my favorite is Saracen, the weird vampire. Yeah, that's at the retreat. Yeah, I I hope he I hope we see lots more of him in other shows. Um, So there's a quick scene between the time that she texts and goes out to Blonsky's retreat. And that is um, her good friend Nikki takes her college video and uploads it to the intelligentsia site. Now, it turns out that there's a reason that she's doing it, but I'm not sure Jen would be very happy that now this video is out on the, you know this horrible, horrible website. But she uses it in order to gather information, and then she ends up getting invited to uh, the what ends up being the same retreat as Blonsky's retreat, and she ends up having to take Pug with her because she needs a bro uh, to go out and meet with, with these people to figure out more information. I thought that was yeah. all hilarious. She basically took what the intelligentsia did to She-Hulk and was like, oh, this they used bait, so I'm going to use yeah. bait. But I'm sure you're right that She-Hulk slash Jen Walters is not happy that this <laughs> twerking UCLA hoodie video is now somehow on the internet, but she'll deal with that another day, that problem for another day. However, it works. I find it funny that Pug is just used as like, he's not, he's used as typically um, a woman character would be Mm. in like a superhero movie. Like he's very disposable. We don't know much about him. We only know that he likes clothes. He's mildly attractive and that him and Nikki have a relationship. I kind of really enjoy it. But it is very interesting. He's kind of a throwaway character. Yep. Maybe there's more background that I'm unaware of, but... He's definitely a major character in the She-Hulk comic book, especially, I think it's the Dan Slott run uh, where they're at GLK&H. And so he's he is attracted to Jen in the comics, but that's never reciprocated. And I think you kind of get a little bit of this later in the episode when Jen shows attraction for Matt Murnock when he shows back up. But uh, he's probably the best comic book character that was completely underused in the TV show. But again, these were these were short episodes. Yeah, and I, I I think you're probably right. They probably are using him kind of as a throwaway like a foil yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly so it's it's a shame there's a lot of a lot of people that i've read that would love to have seen more of pug Get, getting more time because he did kind of come off as almost kind of a goof and definitely yeah. a goof who loves sneakers a very to be honest a very la goof mm-hmm. a sneakerhead who has a drip merchant or whatever he was yeah, saying yeah drip, I thought that yeah, was hilarious that, that drip was, broker drip broker there we go there we go <laughs> But yes, he's the gateway into this awful meeting of Hulk Kings. So uh, goes in there. Sure enough, uh, Todd is the person that's running the show. Turns out Todd is the Hulk King, which I I guess it wasn't a big surprise to, to anyone. It was just kind of too obvious. Too uh, obvious. Yeah. And, and he 
admits, well, I, before it goes in, when uh, the one thing I, I did find interesting was, again, Nikki telling Pug when he goes in, whenever he's referring to women, make sure you call them females. So we, we hear that again. Um, and how he's too evolved. So she makes him keep the AirPod in so yeah. he, she can help him. <laughs> <laughs> say awful things because he's deprogrammed himself. That was hilarious. Yeah. Also, no one asked about the AirPod. That that just looked funny on screen. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. One thing that this, the Todd Phelps, gosh, you know, I don't like him. And I did. He was in my running for being the bad guy. So right. I was happy, but anticlimactic that that was correct. One thing that She-Hulk said when she was going through her, you know, murder board sequence of what had happened to her was that the entity that owned, I guess, the, this platform that led all these guys to meet each other where they're meeting now at the retreat uh -huh. was owned by a couple of foreign subsidiaries. Right. And that just made me laugh because, you know, he's a long term client. Maybe Holloway had a part in that. Who structured that? Just the whole thing. I was like, how is this going to somehow unravel and show other characters are a part of this? Yeah. Yeah. And the running things through foreign subsidiaries is a is kind of a shortcut in television uh, to say, well, <laughs> we can never it figure must... out who di who owns this. It's, you know, it's a, it's a complete mystery. <laughs> it's like the rules of civil procedure don't exist. Exactly. <laughs> then everything just kind of comes off the rails. Um, now it goes into the, if you're not a Marvel fan, you slowly get very, very confused and have to pause it and Google. At least that's what I felt. Maybe yeah. others have more background knowledge. But this is where it turns from a lawyer show into an MCU love fest slash commentary slash thought piece, in yeah. my opinion, which made me not really a huge fan of this episode. I think you're right. I think for people that kind of have a an advanced knowledge of the MCU and some of the things that they've done across the different phases and some of the things that they have planned for the upcoming phases, I think if you were inside of that knowledge, it, it was very exciting to see this because there's, there was so much information that was kind of released. And there was also a, a fun kind of making fun of some of the commonalities that the MCU fell into uh, as well. So if you noticed when we had the big fight scene, Abomination comes in, Jen you know, immediately goes back into lawyer mode and was like, oh, you've broken your, you know, you, you told me. You know, I lied I, for yeah, you. I, yeah. <laughs> so. Which is the worst. Clients do lie and it is the worst. Yeah. I can't imagine being a litigator and having clients lie as a, transact, a transactional attorney when they lie. It's just a headache. Yeah. But when I can't imagine, they really should teach a class on that yeah. in law school. If you ever watch the show House, uh, oh, yes. And so that's one of the things he always says is all patients lie. And so I think with lawyers, all, you know, you might as well just come with the assumption that your client's probably hiding something and it may be relevant. It may be stupid, but most people are, you know, very uncomfortable with coming out and telling you the complete truth. Um, but yes, it was a lot at once because it was like the abomination. Oh, he's the abomination. Yep. And then Todd admits to everything, unprovoked, no questions, hook, line, and sinker. Oh, yeah, I hacked in. I stole her blood. Just just divulging. Yep. And then, and then he injects himself with the blood and turns into, uh, 
uh, I was kind of like with you. I thought maybe he was going to turn into the Red Hulk, but it, it was Bro Hulk. Bro, it was. It, it was definitely Bro Hulk. Definitely Bro Hulk. They uh, need a new character, a new line of merch. Yep, and then uh, Titania breaks in. For uh, what reason? The the Hulk breaks in. I mean, it was just uh, it was crazy. Just the amount of action that that is going on and then we have the big fourth wall break um and this is where i think everyone kind of split and it's like oh wait what what are we doing here i think jen looks at the camera and says is this really what you want talking to the audience and then you see it go to the disney plus marvel screen on the television you know i think right there you either bought in or this was too much uh, for the Well, it's for the jumping audience. the shark, right? Yeah. It's yeah. so far-fetched that you're like, wait, what's happening? Can, can anything salvageable come out of this? It's It was so meta as well, which right. I'm sure as a Marvel fan, you're just used to. But as someone who came for a lawyer show, the attention to detail is almost startling because she breaks out of She-Hulk and then she swings on the... What's the chain? I'm going to say it wrong. The rings, the chain, uh, um, whatever. Yeah. She she swings on that, which at the end we realize why, into the Marvel behind the scenes. The attention to detail is so startling. It's wild. <laughs> and then the marketing of just the Disney Plus screen. Right. They got free promo uh, for the entirety of their universe for a solid 30 seconds in that frame. Yep. Every other IP they have coming out, which is there. <laughs> so she jumps into the, I think it's the Marvel Assembled TV show, which are always the behind the scenes, uh, at, typically after a movie or after a show has completed, they do this assembled uh, show, which kind of talks through the process of it. Um, and she ends up going to, to uh, the main office. And uh, if you caught the QR code, there's a yes. really, did you did you look at it? I followed the QR code and I'm getting a free comic book. My first comic book. Did, you did, get a free She-Hulk comic book. Did you understand why it pointed to that specific comic book? No, not at all. I okay. just wanted the free comic book. So that was the Savage She-Hulk number 50. What happened in that is Jen Walter's She-Hulk in the comic book sold her rights to Marvel Comics and... She is going to the headquarters of Marvel Comics and is complaining about the way that they are telling her story. So that's how that comic book relates back to what's going on in, in this scene. So it's, again... That it, is so wild. Yeah, the it, meta <laughs> it, it, we of have, all We of have this. meta within meta. Uh, I mean, ahead. I guess now that I know that, it makes me appreciate this more because there's some you know, historical backing mm. for the writers having this very weird plot point. But until you told me that, this just all I thought was some sort of weird, I don't know, Marvel <laughs> plot cleanup, which I was mad that it had to be in a nine episode show about a female lawyer. Like, why? Why this show? Yeah. 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 Why now? Well, and I, I think the reason is, is because of those of the history with the comic books of her literally like ripping the comic book open to go from one scene to another, talking directly to the writer, John Byrne, uh, during his run. 
So this was not anything, if you were familiar with that series, this was not a surprise on how it kind of ran parallel to some of the storylines that, that had happened in, in the comic books itself. But there's not a lot of, you know, I'm a, I'm a 54 year old man who read these comic books when, you know, when I was a preteen and teenager, that's a pretty narrow market <laughs> of people to, to understand that. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, uh, there, there was a lot going on that, again, the meta within the meta, the, the, the fourth wall, the going in and actually talking to the real writers of the show and trying to define yes. how, how that was going on. You had to really take, you know, a, a step back and just suspend, you know, belief for a bit and, and talk to them. But I, you know, I thought it was a, a good look at the whole process. I think that for Marvel, as they're going from phase four to five, that um, I think this is, is kind of, you know, closing some holes on it. Um, you know, she meets uh, Kevin, which is of course a direct reference to Kevin Feige, who's been in control of everything this whole time. Um, there's all kinds of theories on that. Also, the Marvel NDA. I love yes. the jokes about the Marvel NDA. I love, I tried to look up who the receptionist was because they gave him airtime. So I thought maybe he was someone in the Marvel universe mm -hmm. that I should have known, but I couldn't figure that out. But I love how he makes her sign the NDA. She makes the joke of going through it, how long it is. Right. Just because even in LA, it's known they have a insanely long detailed NDA. They do not negotiate. It's the strictest in the business. Mm -hmm. And basically you sign it, you give up your phone, even if you just go visit there, get an email from them, get yeah. a link from them, anything. And I love that they made a joke of it. Yeah. Well, Especially in a lawyer show. Yeah. I and, was like, yes. And there was, and I can't remember who the actor was, but during an interview said that, you know, he can't say anything because they could literally take his house if he said something. So he was like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to disclose anything. Everyone signs an NDA. Marvel, the MCU, Disney, they take it extremely seriously. And, and apparently they really, really let the actors and people that work on the set know this. And if you saw, there were a bunch of Captain America signs that were up. And mm -hmm. if you read that, it was, uh, I want you to put your cell phone up, you know, and. and oh, so, I didn't see that. Yeah. That's hilarious. And apparently but those think, are real. Oh, I guarantee yeah. if that NDA is that long, I bet every screen is confiscated or covered or encrypted or something, or there's some sort of damages listed in the NDA. Yeah. My favorite was she signed the NDA just to be, I guess, caught by security. Like that was the only purpose for the NDA. <laughs> also, just thinking about this legally, which doesn't really matter. It was just a joke, a throwaway joke, but all of this is on camera. So anything that the public sees is no longer in the NDA. It's right. it's publicly disclosed by Marvel itself. So I thought that was funny as well. I chuckled. Uh, so um, she goes in and she meets, well, first she meets with the writers. Mm -hmm. I think these were the actual writers. I think they're the actual writers because I follow Jessica Gao on Twitter mm -hmm. and I recognize her. So I, I would assume they're the actual writers. Yep. And she gets to go in and she meets Kevin the robot, again, uh, kind of a creation of Kevin Feige, who's been over the, the whole storytelling. Um, and the one thing that, that she gets, 
well, she puts out the argument that, look, this is a legal comedy show, right? And, and well, she makes it in her closing argument. Yes. Since it is a legal show. They give her a closing <laughs> argument, which I guess means Kevin's the judge and we're the other side or the writers are the other side. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's interesting because I think she only argues, you know, how are we going to change this? Uh, we're changing it from night to day. We're going to change, you know, that, uh, that Todd doesn't become the Hulk. Titania is still there. I think she said Bruce uh, that uh, the the Hulk should not be there, so he disappears. Shouldn't be cleaning up her messes. Yeah, shouldn't be cleaning up her messes, and so. And she wanted Daredevil back. It, well, uh, she wanted more love interests. Yes, she she's got to learn to negotiate better on things that she wants. <laughs> she does. She but she's very attached <laughs> to her friends and you know relationships, and so you know that she's argued. For Nikki to be your paralegal and for Daredevil to to come back, and so she's she was in a much stronger position, I think, than than that. Um, but the one thing, and and I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Kevin says that you won't be able to come back and talk to me because she's talking about the second season, and he goes, "You can't come back to me. I fixed that glitch." And if you noticed, she never breaks the fourth wall again. The rest of the episode. So that was going to be a question I had for you because I did hear that, but I wasn't sure if it was the fourth wall or if, you know, I fixed the glitch of you being able to break in and wreak havoc on the Marvel Studios. Yeah. I wasn't sure which one he was referring to. Yeah. So the the other thing to, to think about is, does this mean that when uh, Deadpool comes in, he won't be able to break the fourth wall anymore either? Oh, wow. So... That's a lot of Deadpool's That's, comedy. So yeah. hopefully for Ryan Reynolds and co, that is not the case. <laughs> All right. So we get back into the show and. Well, so just so oh, I can ahead. make sure I have this right. The only thing that Kevin really changed was that Todd is not bro Hulk yet. Right. And right. And Hulk did not come in to save the day. So Todd is still his measly, awful glasses Todd Phelps exactly um no I think because uh well he's still the the leader of the intelligentsia so true and he's still Hulk Hulk King King. he still stole her blood unfortunate he he still took all of her you know all of her personal information he still displayed that in public so yeah there's still still pretty slimy he's just not a hulk as your as your Los Angeles local council California local council I looked up to see if it was a, if there was a cause of action for stealing someone else's blood or genetic material from person to person, mm-hmm. unclear, which was terrifying to find out. <laughs> Apparently, like, you know, Ancestry.com, whatever, California passed a series of regulations they have to abide by. Police need a warrant. But person to person, there's not a lot of laws out there, mm. yep. which was really terrifying. Uh. So this could have this could have been done totally fine. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we get back and we it ends up I think the next scene is Todd is in handcuffs. And again, he's expecting her to beat him up. And instead, she's like, I'm going to see you in court. And once again, we see Jen Walter, She-Hulk. It's not about the strength. It's about the rule of law. And that's what she's going to rely on to to fix these situations. So, uh, you know, comes back to turns out this is a lawyer show. So perhaps she's putting back up the Legally Blonde poster. 
<laughs> one can hope. One can hope. Um, let's see. So where do we go from here? Oh, uh, we, do, we do get Daredevil literally dropping in out of the sky. Um, <laughs> so that, that was interesting. And Titania is a fan of Daredevil. Yes. So hopefully that won't be a power struggle yeah. <laughs> if there is a season two. <laughs> well, that and it's, it was nice because I think he appreciated the fact that she did know who he was. Because if you remember in the last <laughs> episode, Jen didn't know who Daredevil was. So Right. <laughs> Abomination have? seems to be a good guy, we think, other than breaking the yeah. inhibitor and going into the form of Abomination. He seems to help Jin try to get out of the situation until yeah. he fights the Hulk. Yeah. He doesn't seem to fight the parole violation and whatever conditions she's negotiated. So I guess he's a good guy, which was surprising to me. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think there's uh, there's some more uh, shows coming up where he may or may not be involved. So Time will tell. Yeah. And then the the final scene in the show is we see Jen on well She Hulk on her way to court to I think to go after Todd Phelps and is questioned by a reporter and we kind of <laughs> still see the same old same old uh, uh, going on. Um, you want to cover what the reporter said? <laughs> Well, the reporter said many things. At the top, he helped us by saying that her charges were cleared. I guess her inhibitor is gone, which is why she could be in the She-Hulk form, which yeah. that's the only helpful thing he said. Then he proceeds to ask her, you know, if she's excited for the case, blah, 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 if people should fear her in and out of the courtroom, to which she says, basically, yes, right. meaning she's going to pull a daredevil potentially and do the vigilante stuff as well on the side, which... You know, because she is a public figure, that could create all sorts of issues mm -hmm. for her. And then at the end, after, you know, we got some good information, he decides to ask what she is wearing, yeah. which is the Hollywood inside joke for women are always just we're leveled down to our appearance and being judged for that. Right. And then when she refuses to answer, he calls her the difficult diva of law, <laughs> which I want merch to be made of this. I want to wear this shirt everywhere. <laughs> Difficult diva of law. It's very long, but it's my new catchphrase, perhaps. Let, let, let's see if we can get you a shirt like that. It says that. <laughs> the uh, end credits, uh, I think there was only one thing that I saw, and I think you saw it too, with how Abomination was able to become Abomination <laughs> uh, without triggering the inhibitor uh, signal. And that was he attached it to one of the chickens. <laughs> Hilarious. How did that, I guess he did have the one hiccup, the one time yeah. that they were like, oh, he took off his inhibitor, but I guess he perfected his science. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe uh, Princess Silk Feather. Is that the name of the, the <laughs> I think so. Chicken? It was a ridiculous well, you remember name. he said he had an incident with an electric fence. Maybe, maybe oh. the chicken ran into the electric fence and caused the, the inhibitor to short out. And so he didn't totally lie to Jen Walter. She just didn't ask great questions yeah. once again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the last thing, we do get a post-credit scene and we see Wong come in and uh, take Emil Blonsky away to uh, Comitage. And uh, so we know that Abomination is not in prison, that he is with Wong. And so, you know, fingers crossed, we will see him in other shows down the road. So also right. definitely another parole violation. Also, <laughs> definitely. So, so uh, Jen will be busy the next yeah. business day dealing with this. Yes, she will. So that wraps up the show. But 
I specifically wanted to talk to you about what you thought about the marketing department at GLKNH for this show. That, you know, here we have essentially a large law firm. I would assume it's like an AmLaw 100 style law firm. And you're the CMO of GLKNH now. I'm giving you that role. Uh, how would you fix this? <laughs> Well, I don't think they had a marketing department, or if they did, they were asleep or busy doing other things. People may be, hopefully they're not surprised, but I think people would be surprised how many marketing professionals there are in these big law firms. Now, they're paid a considerable amount of money because although they're not doing the most cutting edge, innovative you know, marketing campaigns, what have you, it's really important to keep law firms being talked about in the press, clients you know, spotlighted, the wins spotlighted. Uh, making thought leaders out of the partners and the various associates there and just being professional and kind of always up to date. That's a very large job when you have hundreds of attorneys working in one organization. Obviously here, they just didn't include the marketing people. They have probably the best marketing cachet you could have, which is a superhero who is also a lawyer, going to run a division. And if I was the CMO, obviously I would have her everywhere. There would be a She-Hulk podcast We'd be interviewing all of these superheroes that I guess they were doing pro bono work for, hoping the publicity would help out, which publicity is great. That's kind of separate from marketing, but can be used together. But also the media training, as we talked about, she obviously hated the media, wasn't confident, wasn't sure what her kind of story points were on her or how her image was within the firm. That should have been straightened out on day one. When Holloway met her in the hallway, the marketing person should have been with him saying, hey, so here's your media training. Do you need help with your budget? Do you need help with your office? Do you need help with all these things? Here's the story of how you're the head of this group here. That just didn't happen. So I don't know if it was part of the story of Holloway just not giving her a chance to succeed, like giving her kind of the bare minimum and like not supporting her along the way, but she really had no marketing support in any of this, which is kind of seen when you see the Titania marketing genius a couple of episodes later, because this lady has probably, I'm guessing, an awful makeup line of products. They make fun of how everything's basically the same thing, just repurposed into different vials. Yet her marketing was amazing. There was storytelling. You know, she had social media marketing. She was obsessed with her target, which was Jen, so much so that everywhere Jen turned, there were some sort of marketing asset for her to see that was all streamlined. So I kind of think marketing was used in the show or the lack thereof to kind of show that Holloway just didn't support her and that she was very awkward and she didn't really have the support she needed to kind of grow into herself and take ownership. But also if there was a marketing person, we wouldn't have had the whole Jin finds her footing storyline. True. True. But that's why marketing's there. So uh, (laughs) storytelling is everything. Yeah. But no, I think people would be shocked the real life marketing of a big law firm like this versus what was shown in this show. Because as you know, like the huge law firms, I mean, a CMO at one of these might be making almost a million dollars. Like it's a very important job and they're working around the clock and they're constantly producing content to make the firm look like they are winning all day and night. So they would have Jin out there all the time, just a content machine as She-Hulk. That would have been a huge part of her job. 
I know one of the things that we do, especially when you have a lateral hire like Jen was coming in, uh, that, you know, she was not an associate coming in. She was working somewhere else uh, is coming in, especially if you're going to label her as the face of this superhuman law division, which essentially is a, a, a practice group, an industry group, I guess, that, you know, the marketing team would be in full force, that they would mm-hmm. have a, a press release ready to go. There would be time set up on uh, how, how do we want to get you exposure? Who do we want you to interview with? Um, how do we want to tell your story? And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes because especially with a practice group like this, that, you know, there were certain things that were big money makers, Megan, Megan, the stallion, <laughs> Todd, uh, the, Eugene with leapfrog, leapfrog where they, you know, people had money, but she also handled a couple of pro bono cases. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, if you're going to be the face, everything you do has to help facilitate the success of that group. Yeah. The bottom line and revenue especially if a lot of the cases in that group are just pure publicity, that Mm. revenue has to happen somewhere else. Whether like he was saying, oh, they're so excited to have a Hulk on the case or other clients think it's a power grab that needs to be publicized all day, every day. So yes, I think there was a severe lack of marketing for She-Hulk. But like I said, I think it was kind of on purpose. And I think that's how the Titania was a foil. And that's part of why they showed the product launch and her pop up in LA with the experiential marketing I think Titania is someone who knows who she is, even if she's not doing the right thing all the time. And I think Jen takes too much thought and mindfulness into what she's doing and what her path's going to be. And so it was a longer burn into having confidence in being the dual Jen Walters She-Hulk. Yeah. Well, I think that puts a bow on this show for us. Um, Well, but I want to hear your final thoughts on the whole season now that you have recounted all of these. Well, I think it fit exactly what I was expecting, and that was it was going to be, and again, I come at this with some previous knowledge of the She-Hulk in the comic series, whether it was the original Stan Lee or the John Byrne version or the Dan Slott version, and it fit exactly what I had imagined. I think it also predicted how people would respond to it, and played on that so that, you know, a lot of the trolls that are in the show, I mean, are almost run parallel to the trolls that are in the real world that were, you know, slamming the, the show itself. Uh, so I thought they were they were really good about kind of predicting how people were going to react to certain things. You know, as a legal show, as with all television legal shows, you can't go into a show like this and expect it to be very realistic. You have to suspend belief on on a number of things. I think there were a few things they could have tightened up on it and wouldn't have taken a lot of effort to find out what would a real law firm do in this situation? What would a real attorney do? What would a real judge do <laughs> in, in this? Um, you know, and still been able to have done it in you know twenty five minutes. If and when there's a season two, I really hope that Marvel reaches out and talks and has a has a legal consultant. Uh, we are available, Marvel. Yeah, 
yeah. <laughs> some, Greg and I are available. And and some of us are local. Not me, but you. Well, I, actually, I am no, local. I, it's done in Georgia. So we'll have to, we'll have to find somebody Marvel, in Georgia. But the Marvel office is in Burbank. That's true. And I will sign the NDA. <laughs> I, I would sign the NDA as well. Um, but I, I love the show. Uh, from from beginning to end, it was exactly what I wanted. It fit the character that I that I grew up with and, and knew very well. I think it, again, I myself really love shows that have strong female characters in them. I have also started uh, hesitating using the word female. I know. I have to second guess myself now because of all the jokes, which are very spot on. Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, I, I was very satisfied with this. And I'm going to love the fact that, you know, I think the, the prediction is that She-Hulk will show back up in uh, The Avengers. There may be a role for her in The Fantastic Four as well. So Tatiana, um, the actress. She's is, a great actress. Wonderful. Just, I, you know, I loved her. I didn't watch a lot of Orphan Black, but the way she was able to handle so many different roles in Orphan Black, I think you saw her acting chops here, that she felt like Jen Walters. And, you know, watching some of the behind the scenes with the CGI where she was actually doing and moving as the She-Hulk uh, as well. I thought she did a great job. The whole Daredevil introduction and and the the romance uh, the potential walters and and murdoch or murdoch and walters law firm uh love love that concept and so yeah i'm i'm i was quite happy with the show so let me ask you what was your overall opinion of the show so as someone who's not a marvel super fan or even really a strong Marvel fan. I just occasionally watch movies as my husband does. So I really didn't have much of the backstory here. I was coming for a legal comedy. I think it definitely had moments where that resonated by the eighth episode. I was with Daredevil. I was really enjoying the swing of things. I think how they ended it is a little severe if you're not a Marvel fan. Yeah. But overall, I enjoyed the series. I think the last episode just ended on kind of a, wait, what's going on? For me, just because I really had to do research to figure out what all of these little details added up to, which when you do the research, it's incredible to see the, like I said, the attention to detail, the meta on meta jumping the shark. I mean, it is phenomenal, the amount of work that's put into it. But as a casual viewer who came for a legal show, it ended in a very odd way. So I'm excited. Hopefully there's a season two. I hope there's more Daredevil. I think that love story could be very fun, especially as she decides to kind of lead his lifestyle of justice in and out of the courtroom, which will probably create a whole lot of issues. I'm excited for it. I liked it overall. It was a slow burn for me and it ended kind of weird, but <laughs> I think she is an exceptional actress. Yes. I think this would be very hard for anyone and she made it believable. I also believe that she took a lot of stock in the fact that she was being an attorney too, yeah. even though some of it wasn't a hundred percent, it was done very well. Yeah. And my favorite non-lead character is Nikki, the paralegal. She just knocked every scene she was in. She just knocked it out of the park. I, I absolutely love that character. And the actress that played her did such a great job. And you want more justice for Pug. And I want more justice for Pug. Pug is a, you know, a, a real strong character in the comics. And I would like to see that 
But again, we're talking, you know, 25 minute long TV episodes. There's only so much you can pack in there without it turning into season three of Heroes, which may be a super <laughs> meta reference uh, <laughs> where things, the storylines just got too complicated. So, all right. Any final thoughts? I hope there's a season two. Me too. Me too. Well, Ashley Carlisle, uh, thank you very much for coming in and help, helping us wrap up these series finale, or at least the season finale. Hopefully not the series finale. Um, hopefully not. Yeah. So thank you once again. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. All right. And as, uh, as Joshua would say, stay super, everybody. For your show. <laughs>